0: Romans chapter 7, Paul is continuing on this track about why law is not relevant or important to you. And then in chapter 7, what he's talking about is that he's making a legal argument about why law is irrelevant. So chapter 7, verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Verse 2, then he goes on and talks about the analogy between husband and wife. For a woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Verse 3, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man, verse 4. So in other words, there is such a freedom. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear the fruit of God. In other words, is that you are legally, because of the fact that you have died in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that when you're born again, you have died with Him. Your flesh had died with Him. And that when He rose from the dead, you also were raised together with Him, Ephesians chapter 1. And so therefore now you have gone through the process of death, that whatever requirement that you think you needed to have before God, with God, that is no longer applicable. Did you understand? stand there was it does it make sense can talk to me please yes so, so i'm not gonna you know don't i don't feel like i'm talking to myself so anyway so now as a wife is free from her legal obligation to the husband who 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 was alive now the husband is there now she is free from that obligation as you and I are free from the obligation of the law now because without death none of us would be free from the law we will all be bound by the law but praise God now we have died in Christ Jesus and Jesus himself died for us we are legally everybody say legally we are legally free from the law now not only that Paul says that if you want to continue to keep going on with the law, you need to know the power of the law to provoke your desire to sin. In verse 7, sorry, in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by what? What is your sinful passions being aroused by? It's the law. Your sinful passion is aroused by the law uh, were uh, by the law at work, law were at work in your members, in your bodies. In other words, to bear fruits of death. But the sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desires. So sin, together with the commandments, produces evil desire. Wow! For apart from the law, sin was dead, and that's why he said in verse nine he's actually testifying before he said i was alive once before he knew over the law as he was a child without the law you know that's why kids you know they're so alive and then but when the commandment came sin revived and i died verse 11 for sin taking the occasion by the commandment deceived me And by it killed me. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, you know, religious setting, in all religious setting, there are sets of rules, and the purpose of the sets of rules were set up there was so that we can live a holy living by following those rules. And Paul is saying, ain't going to happen because whatever rules are being set up, whether it's a Christian rules, a Jewish rule, an Islam rule, a, a Muslim rules, a Buddhist rule, or Hinduism rules, all those rules, try as you may, you will fail. You will always fail trying even if you are monks, you are, you are Iman, or you are a minister, a priest, you will fail. And we have heard stories of many of those religious people around the world have failed. Not only Catholics, but, you know, the Iman. And, and you know, there, there was, uh, just, uh, earlier I was just talking about, you know, I don't know if you read the news about, you know, the police in Thailand was doing a roundup of all the monks, you know. They were caught as child predator. And then when they got in their homes, they found all kinds of pornography materials, you know, and child pornography materials. I tell you this, I don't care what religion you're part of. As long as you think that rules can help you to live right, you will fail. It always fails. So if the law can't do it, in fact, has the opposite effect, how then do we have victory over sin and the luring of the flesh? And by the way, the message of the grace is not permissive message. If anybody had told you that I preach permissive message to accommodate sins, they would lie to you because the message of grace is a message to live in victory effortlessly. It's not that we live without, we live with sin. The message of grace is not saying, oh, it's okay. You can't sin away where grace abound. You know, where, where sins abound, grace much more abound. This statement is helped people, you and I, when we fall even after being Christians, don't worry, the grace of God is there. But it's not telling you to allow sin to conquer you every day. You know, we believers, our goal is to have victory over sin forever and therefore have victory over its consequence that will be death. As long as we allow, as long as we think that the, the gospel of grace is about permissive gospel, then we'll never live in victory and it's never intended in the Bible, never intended by God for us to live in that lifestyle because sin will bring death. Sin always brings death. But if law, observing law, doing strict religious rules is not going to cut it, then How? So Paul, for the, uh, for, for the next few minutes, we'll be talking about how we're going to have victory. But first, he'll tell you about his struggle. The struggle that every believer is in the world who observes the law, who lives under the law, uh, 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 is struggling today and has been struggling for centuries. Verse 15, for what am I doing? I don't understand. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. Excuse me. For what I will or I determine or make decision to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate that is sinful, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, in other words, make decision not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In other words, he blame it on sin. It's not me. I didn't do it. It's a sin that did it, you know. Smart. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will or to make a decision is present with me, to make a decision, right, do the right thing. But how to perform what is good, I don't know how to do it. I haven't figured out a way to do it. For the good that I will to do, in other words, for the good that I determined to do, I don't do it. But the evil that I will not or determine not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do or determine not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So in other words, I find then a law... Another reality, that evil is present with me, the very one who had decided to do good. And yet evil is still there. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, that would be my spirit, which is perfect. You'll learn in a couple of weeks from now, I'll be preaching about the perfection of the spirit. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed, your spirit after you're born again is super perfect. It always will be perfect. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, what a wretched man I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And I of us wish to say, oh my goodness, there is such a conflict. I know I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do it, but I like doing it. You know, many, you know, as teenagers, you know, it's like, oh, I know I shouldn't be watching pornography, but I like it. And yet, I come to church on Sunday morning feeling, oh, guilty, you know. Thinking that during the worship service, I just wanted to worship God and love to be in the presence of God. But the devil would say, ah, I know what you did. Stop raising your hand. Just stand there. Be stupid. I know I'm not the only one who experienced that. Many people have. To the point that many people say, I'm not even going to go to church. Why bother? I'm going to lose anyways. But he gave you a solution this morning. I believe God is going to give many of you a solution for victory over sin. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Now in chapter 8, he gave us the key. The key to overcome all our struggles with sin effortlessly okay verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation everybody say no condemnation now if it is in your bible you need to underline the word no condemnation you need to underline it three four times a circle put a star around it just just remember this because this is the key for those who are in Christ Jesus to have victory over your flesh over your sin there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. That will be practicing the law, doing things as the law tells you, but according to the Spirit. And then we're going to talk about it. We're going to spend a little time talking about what it does it mean that we walk according to the Spirit. Okay, because if practicing law is included in this category called according to the flesh, then what is it that we do that is according to the Spirit? Okay? Now, so there is this difference between the law of the Spirit of life by grace through faith versus the law of sin and death through the law of Moses. Okay? For the the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus... Had made me free from the law of sin and death that brings condemnation. For what the law could not do, that would be make us holy. The law cannot make us holy, cannot make us guilt free, cannot make us condemnation free, in that it was weak through the flesh. But, be, but the Bible tells, and then he went on and we will talk about how instead of being part of the law, you got to be part, you got to be spiritual. God did, send, did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And the spirit, we're going to explain, we're going to talk about it. So, in this world today, billions of people, billions of people are under condemnation. Doesn't matter what religion they're part of, they're under guilt and condemnation. So, many other billions of people decided this is stupid because there's no permanent solution to it. So, why bother to have condemnation at all? So, they say to themselves, I'm not ever going to feel guilty again. I'm not ever going to feel condemned again. I'm going to leave church. I'm going to leave all this religious thing. I'm going to decide to become an atheist, agnostic, or whatever. Because that is a very convenient way to get rid of this condemnation. It is true. There's a very convenient, forget- so, you know, I, I don't believe in God. I just, I just uh, you know, the very same people when they're about to face death, all of a sudden they would believe in God again because there's no atheism in, in foxhole, right? So, but, you know, it's very convenient. We say, oh, you know, that's the best way to get rid of it because nobody can live with that condemnation and guilt, And I feel sorry for the people that allow condemnation and guilt to drive their lives. Many sincerest of sincerest believers around the world, Christian believers, are allowing condemnation to drive them and allow condemnation to manipulate them. People use condemnation and guilt to manipulate and control them. But other people are smarter. They say, There's therefore now no condemnation. I don't want any condemnation. They walk away. But the problem is, If you just walk away from condemnation without Christ, without being in Christ Jesus in the Spirit, there will be consequences of the action that you take. Because whether there is grace or not, there's always consequences to all the action that we take. If you don't believe me, go rob a man, kill somebody and see if you're going to end up in jail. Because there will be consequences whether there's grace or not. Are you understand? Do you understand me? And so there's consequences, consequences, every action that we take. You know, we're talking about eating, you know, this week, you know, uh, uh, somebody who was pastoring was so generous, you know, buying all kinds of bagels, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I usually try to, to not eat that much. In fact, not eat at all in the morning, kind of call it intermittent fast, but whatever. So, so I, I'm sitting there, you know, and, and uh, um, uh, uh, so we're talking about eating, right. And, and uh, so, so somebody said, you know, Pastor, you know, what is the, what is the surest way that you're going to gain weight? I said, what is it? Condemnation. I said, ooh. And, I, and he said, you know, if you, if, you, if you have condemnation, that's a sure way to gain weight. So I said, bless God, I'm going to eat two bagels right now with lots of cream cheese, you know. <laughs> just, but watch this. It's good. I was free from condemnation just for a moment. Hallelujah. But you know, the point is that if I keep doing it, guess what? I'm going to be I'm having a heart attack because a lot of grease, a lot of fat, a lot of, you know, there's, there, yeah, there's no condemnation, but there will be consequences. You pick. But if you don't want condemnation with, and uh, you don't want condemnation, and you don't want consequences, Paul gave us a key. Not only there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus But also those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's a double blessing right there. And then he went on and explained to us why you want to walk in that. Why you can walk free of that. Verse 5. For those who are not walking under the Spirit, but walking according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, including the law, when you set your minds on the things of the flesh, that means including the law. You say, does God say that the law is the flesh? Well, the law is spiritual, but those who practice it, they're a part of the flesh. In fact, He says so that much. He compared the law, those who practice the law, as part of the tribe of Hagar. And then he, that will be all the Jewish people, you know, they're part of the tribe of Hagar. It doesn't make any sense because they're descendants of Abraham and descendants of Jacob. And yet Paul called them because they're practicing the law of the flesh, which is of Hagar. But he said, for those of us of the faith, we are of the spiritual. We are of Jerusalem, the daughter of Sarah. The the, the descendants of Sarah, sorry. And so, yes, the flesh is practicing the law. And then the spiritual is under faith. So for those of us who live according to the flesh, set their minds on on the law, the things of the flesh. Not only on sinful things and worldly carnality and, and indulgence of whatever sin, but also the law. But those who live according to the spirit... They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And he's going to tell you what it is. I'm going to share with you a little bit what it is. But it's really uh, away from the law. It's not the practicing of the law or some rules. For to be carnally minded, including being law minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh, including practicing the law, they cannot please God. And in fact, the only thing that pleased God is to have faith in God, the Bible says. He didn't come to him and believe that he is. That's how you please God. Now, verse 9, but you those who are born again, those who invited Jesus in your heart, those who had the Spirit of God living in you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Say, I'm not in the flesh. You see this? However handsome it is, and it is very handsome. That's not me. So, what you're saying? You see, the real you is your Spirit. We are, a, you and I, we are a spirit. Have a soul and live in a body. The real you is the spirit. The real you is not what you look like. So in the morning, you wake up, you see all the wrinkles. Some of all those people are you know, you try to apply serum, you know, and, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, try to make yourself look young. You Remind yourself when you get discouraged, oh, look at me, oh, Reg, you know. But that's not me. Me is beautiful on the inside. Because me is a perfect spirit that God has redeemed. Me is most handsome, most glorious. This is not me. This is a temporary tent that I'm living in. I'm not in the flesh. I'm in the spirit. Come on. And when somebody tells you, you look old, you say, in Jesus' name, shut up. You don't know the reality because I'm living in the Spirit. But I'll tell you this. For those people who understood how to live in the Spirit, their flesh will manifest it eventually. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You know, when Smith Wigglesworth died, they um, did an autopsy on him. He was in his mid-80s. They say that this man had a man of a youth his body everything is of the youth this is a great man of faith well i'll tell you this he wasn't free of sickness in fact one time he was he had this stone in his bladder he couldn't you know go to properly and he would be screaming he would be sweating and 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 when he went to went went to pee he was just struggling before he preaches he would preach he was not free of sickness and disease, but because he walked in faith, walked in the Spirit, that is, in, in the, walk in faith is walking in the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. This man ended up like a young person, even on the day he passed away. You see, why he died Because it was his time to go to the presence of God. See, we should not allow sickness to determine our time. Are you here this morning? i say it again we should not allow sickness to determine our time it shouldn't be so because he's sick that's why he died press god for those of us oh, for those of us who in christ jesus i'm excited in christ jesus it is not sickness that determines our time it is god that determines our time and when you should go it should better be that you're healthy like a horse that is our inheritance don't ever believe that. oh I guess my time. Oh. <laughs> no man sickness should never determine our days but you are not the flesh here you are that's what indeed the spirit of god dwells in you how many of you have your spirit of god dwell in you raise your hand i want to see i want to see i'm gonna pan across okay you have the spirit of god dwelling you go ahead and raise your hand all right just keep it up man. Shandai. you got the holy spirit dwell in you well come on right So you who are not in the flesh, indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, like I say, that Spirit will quicken your mortal body to make you young again, Shandai. Your flesh will be young again. You'll be healthy again. And that's why we believe in healing. The healing is not outside in. The healing is inside out. You know, the world will have medicine and ointment or whatever. That's outside in. But the way that God heals is from the Spirit first. And then goes to the soul and after that goes to the flesh and that's how it works i'll be preaching about that two weeks from now but i want to tell you this is that when you have the spirit that is strong in you the spirit that raised jesus from the dead just imagine this the spirit that raised jesus from the dead the very sp- same spirit the bible says is going to quicken you. you know what that you know what that is right quicken you everybody say quicken it's going to quicken your mortal body you don't have to go Ugh. I'm old, I'm old, I'm old. no bless god the spirit of god is in you you wake up in the morning you shut up. you pray in the spirit before you know it you're gonna walk like an 18 year old shaka. no more back pain no more bone pain no more cartilage pain no more pain no more eye problem but you walk in the spirit you will walk in full health hallelujah thank you jesus Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on. These are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know, that's why I tell you for those of us who are born again of the Spirit of God, it's very natural for us to cry, Daddy God. Abba Father. In fact, Jesus himself says this. For those of you who are going to be born again, receive his spirit, that, that the Father was sent to us in that day. In that day, that will be today. In that day, he said, you shall, pray to, to, you shall pray to me nothing. You shall ask me nothing, Jesus says. So I wonder sometimes why Christians say, dear Jesus, give me this, that, and the other thing. Jesus himself said, don't ask me anything. He said, in that day. Everybody say, in that day. That's today. You shall ask of my father, because now he's your father too. You shall ask of my father of anything in my name. He will give you what you ask. If you ever wonder why your prayer has not been answered, you've been asking the wrong person. You're asking Jesus. Jesus don't ask me. Ask the father in my name. And that's what we do, Father in heaven. And so for us who are born again, it's very natural for us to feel that sense of God is our Father. It's like, oh, Daddy God, we just love you. Father, we worship you. It's like such an intimate relationship with the Father because the purpose Jesus came is not reconcile us to Him. He wants to reconcile us to the Father. Are you here this morning? and so that you can have a reconciled relationship with the Father. Is Jesus part of Father? Yes. Is Jesus in the Father? Yes. When Jesus come to earth as flesh, His purpose was not to the flesh of Jesus, but it's to the Father God. He here, He come here to link you back to your Creator as your Father. And that's why we cry, Abba, Father, for those who, who are born of the Spirit. So if you're born of the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and crying out, Father, then you are in the Spirit, so you're not long, no longer in the flesh. And so therefore the law actually doesn't apply now i am going to talk about how it we're going to be led by the spirit in fact it's so important for you to let be led by the spirit especially for the tiny decisions do you know it is the tiny decisions that lead to the major decision if you fail in making the right decision in a tiny decision you might not even come into the place where you have to make the major decision for your benefits we are the sum of all the tiny decisions we make. I used to say we're the sum of all the decisions we make. That's not that true. You are sum of all the tiny little decisions you make that is so insignificant. Like not eating French fries in the morning. No condemnation, Shandai you are some just a little quick decision sometimes you know this week i had to make this quick decision you know it's it's like it's like it's like decision i have to make and i was going to do it and all of a sudden the holy spirit checked me it's just a very small decision the holy spirit said don't do it and i stopped doing it half an hour later i figured i realized thank god i didn't do it i would have made a mess if i did it but it was the holy spirit checked me in this small tiny decision and you need that how do you cultivate that sensitivity just just wait up we're going to go to the, the next point first, and then I'm going to come back. So, Paul went on to talk about suffering. Do you realize that every, everyone has to suffer? How many of you have not suffered in your life? Raise your hand. Don't believe her. Ask her mom. How many of you have not suffered in your life? Show me your hand. You haven't suffered. Life has been so good. You feel like you're living in heaven on earth, you know. Praise God. Well, let me ask you another question. How many of you have not suffered since you became Christian? Ah, we all have suffered, haven't we? Some of us are suffering. Everybody suffers. So what to do? Because the current reality is this. While we're on this planet earth, there will be sufferings. You can take that to the bank. You say, Pastor, you're cursing us. No, I'm just telling you the reality. But verse 16, Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. That will be the Holy Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoptions of the redemption of our body. In other words, eagerly waiting for the second coming of Jesus. So, there will be sufferings always. You can, you can take that to the bank. Now, what did God promise? What is the solution that God had provided us? Throughout the Bible, he had never promised to take away your suffering. Never, 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 never. How we deal with suffering, Paul is telling us, is the following. Number one, verse eighteen: For we are saved in this hope. The hope of the awaiting of the adoption of the redemption of our body. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one hope? Uh, Sorry, why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The The first thing to help in your suffering is to continue to allow that hope of His return to continue to become alive in your spirit. You know, the Apostle John says this, is that he that has this hope in His coming purifies himself. And Paul, the apostle, also said that if our hope is only for this lifetime, we're the most miserable of all men. All that is to tell you is that believers, your hope and my hope must always first of the second coming of God. First of our eternal redemption and eternal salvation and eternal existence in the presence of God. That ought to be our first hope. Yes, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you everything. He wants to provide for you. He wants to cause you to prosper. We'll talk about it two weeks from now. But at the end of the day, if your hope is only on this world, you are very miserable. Because even if you've achieved those hopes, you will still be miserable. Ask those people that have achieved. They need to keep doing things. They need to keep doing. Just go to, to push the limits. Why? Because after a while, after you achieve everything you've achieved, you still need to go more, do more. But our hope has to be the second coming of Jesus. Our hope always has to be. I remember there was this old pastor, you know. He'd passed away already. Every morning he would wake up. He would just open the curtain. Every morning he would open the curtain in in his house. He'd look up. He would say, is this today, Lord? The hope was so alive in him, my friends. It's so real. You and I ought to live like that. When we are in the most gruesome struggle in our lives, make sure you know where your hope lies. Not on this earth, but on being face-to-face with Jesus in His presence. Enjoy His glory eternally. That ought to be your hope and my hope, number one. Are you here this morning? Number two, while in the struggles, you have this hope. Verse 26, not only we have hope in the same manner, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. So not only that you should have this hope, but in the same manner, to help you in your suffering, the Spirit will also help you, in other words, in your weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for we, as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Now watch this. When you are in deep distress, I have many deep distress experiences in my life. I have remembered at times that, you know, I have, I have lost loved ones. And that when you've lost someone, the distress is so heavy, you cannot utter the pain in your heart. What do you do? You can go get drunk. Or you can use substance to temporarily numb your pain. But here the Bible tells us there's another way to do it. Is that you pray in the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to groan through you. And, And if you don't know what that means, it means speaking in tongues. Is that you and I, when we are in a place of absolute pain and suffering and hurts that even the closest person in our lives don't understand us, it is you and I that need to go to the presence of God and that you ask God to comfort you because the Bible says He is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that you will pray in the spirit. In the first service, I was telling people, you know, as a pastor who had been pastoring the church for over 20 years, we've seen a lot of people come and go by the hundreds. And every person who come in, you know, I always try my best to have good relationship with them. And just stay close with them, you know. And then they leave. And some people leave and, you know, they they just just leave. And some some people leave, wouldn't even tell you why they left. And as a pastor, of course, you know, it's, it's very painful, you know. And, you know, I'll never change, you know, the only, one of the ways to, to, to prevent that is to have no relationship with people coming to the church. Just be cold. So if you leave, fine. Good riddance. Bye-bye. You know, right? But that's not how God called, had called us to serve. God has called us to serve, to lay our lives down. And so for the people that will come into our lives, we will have relationship with them. we pray with them. We'll, we'll love them. And then they leave. And what do you do? You feel like a dagger just went through your heart. There's no fault of their own. I mean, life goes on, you know, sometimes, whatever, right? Whatever the reason is, I, 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 you know, that's not the point. The point is that for me personally, when you are in the separation, can you imagine saying goodbye to 200 friends? That's pretty tough. Close friends. And so every time when someone leaves, you know, it will be such a pain in my heart. What do you do? Make a determination to be hardening your heart, you know, be cold. No, you can't do that. You want your heart to stay tender forever. So what do you do? I come to the presence of the Lord. Nobody will understand this. Nobody understand it. Oh, sometimes I talk to some of the other pastor's friends, you know. I know a lot of pastors in the city, you know. We share notes about, hey, you, he, he, they used to come to my church. Now you are going to your church. You know why, you know. And then they say, to the table, you know, say, whatever, right. So, it, it, but but um, they, that can't comfort you. You know what comforts me? And it caused me to continue to love people no matter what. You know, even the the people who left, I still love them. I still honor them. I think they're great. They're awesome. The only way that can keep my heart tender is to pray in the Spirit in a time of tremendous pain. Pray in the Spirit. Every time when I have pain that nobody can understand, I go to the presence of God. I begin to pray in tongues. You say, what is that? Well, I will give you the opportunity to receive to be filled with the Holy Spirit at the end of the service. The prayer warrior will pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. But, you know, praying in the Spirit is so important. Some people got filled with the Holy Spirit and then they stopped praying in tongues. You know, just did it once. They thought, Oh, I, I, I made it. Praise God, you know. Praying in the Spirit is for your heart to be healed. It's a tool that God had given you. Use that tool to comfort your soul, to comfort your heart. Come to God and say, God, I need you. And you begin to pray in the spirit. There'll be people who disappoint you. There are people that hurt you. There are people, that's good. Worship team coming up. There are people that it's going to say things that's just going to just gonna cause such pain. You can do one of two things. You can be hardened, but you can soften your heart. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And today the Holy Spirit is available to you to fill you and to bring you joy, to give you comfort. Some of you may be going through some tough times right now. I don't have a solution for you except to tell you that the Holy Spirit can minister to you. He can comfort you. He can bring joy to your soul. there will be a lot of pains coming our ways. But the key is not to run away and be hardened. The key is to let God heal you.